How's it going, everyone? Welcome to the motherfucking podcast. I'm in Ireland, so this is just how I freaking talk now. So that's just something you'll have to get used to. I don't know where my accent's going from here. Yippee-dee! Yippee-dee, the classic catchphrase of the Irish. Oh, boy, oh, boy, guys. I'm having a crazy, crazy old time. Um, But more on that later. I'm going to do an Ireland spectacular episode where I document my travels. But basically, if you're wondering why this intro sounds a little less uh, high fidelity than usual, it's probably because I'm freaking recording on my iPhone mic right now. And uh, I usually record with, like, a SM Beta 58 and, like, you know, it's like a little bit better for all those, for all those audio junkies out there, dude. Anyways, dude, like, just friggin' like, you know, 66, 1, uh, kilohertz. That's not a real thing. Anyways, ladies and gentlemen, what I'm trying to say is, because my dedication to the weekly commitment I made last week, I'm, I'm still, I'm willing to suffer through this lo-fi shit to bring you the good stuff. Anyways, uh, last week was really fun. Um, the one where my dad inter- interviewed me and I got cut short. Um, I want to do another one with my dad uh, when I get back, um, but I've been getting good feedback on that one, so that was really fun. Um, yeah, if this is your first podcast, it's just like conversations with two people. One of them is me, the other one is like just some interesting person, and we talk about all kinds of stuff. Sometimes it's real silly, sometimes it's real heavy. Um, but, you know, it's just a kind of candid, long-form stuff. What's with the voices today, man? Jesus. All right, guys. No more voices for the rest of this intro. Sean Holtz, incredible mentor of mine, a professor at the University of Southern California, Thornton School of Music. Um, wonderful, wonderful saxophone player. Um, just an incredible music director. Um, lots of amazing credits. He played on the Esther Hall Show. Um, he's played with... All kinds of cool, crazy cats. Google him if you like. Um, but I've got to know him through school, um, taking a couple of his courses. Um, and he is a high-minded fellow. I'm not going to lie, I was very intimidated to do this interview. Um, he was cool enough to carve the time out of his very, very busy schedule um, because he does lots of like television production and things, working with uh, on Dancing with the Stars and all the stuff that you'll hear about. Um, well, actually, I don't think we talked too much specifics. We kind of got into, uh, kind of life heavy stuff pretty quick. Um, but yeah, Sean is an intelligent man, uh, who was, who was dropping knowledge bombs. Um, and if you're familiar with him, hopefully you'll find this, uh, interview interesting. Um, but yeah, thanks to Sean for, uh, for sitting down and hanging out with me. And, um, yeah, if you want to hear some... Some freaking wisdom from a saxophone southern dude. Check this out. Um, Alright, here we go, friends. Oh, yeah, and if you like the show, friggin' rate us on iTunes. Give us a good give us a good rating. Give us a five stars. I'm bordering on another voice. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that, helps, uh, that helps the podcast a lot. So, anyways, I'll talk to you guys soon. I love you all. I miss you, America. Uh, hold it together while I'm gone. I know, I know we're all trying. Okay, bye. Happy sad talking. Happy sad talking. Happy sad talking. Happy sad talking.
to folks listening in uh, on their Pono players and fully lossless audio compression. Right. We'll appreciate it. We'll appreciate that. Um, Don't want to stand? No, man. Okay, you're going old school. I have to be able to grab. Like uh, this is an important like it's part of it for me. How would you sell? Yeah, man. Mm-hmm. Wait, who's that? I just said yeah, yes I without knowing. <laughs> I feel it like, called I, out. I feel like we've started. We have started. Not to uh, hmm. surprise you. Okay. I don't want to like. I'm not trying to. I'm in. Let's go. Yeah. Man. I'll get back to your Howard Cosell reference later. Why? Why not now? Sportscaster. <laughs> okay. Massive sportscaster. Fam- cool. made most famous for uh, hanging out with Muhammad Ali back in the 70s. Mm. Yeah. Okay. You've heard a guy talk like this. Okay. That's Howard Cosell. <laughs> I feel like my dad would know he would. who Howard Cosell yeah, is. Yeah. Um, I did one with him, too, which was cool. With your dad? Yeah. I need to yeah. that. Uh, if, I mean, if you want to. Yeah. Um, but it was it was cool because he doesn't really know this world as much. Right. Um, but but I was, would understand a lot more about Mac and if I if I listened to your father's podcast. Possibly. Right. It was just, it was fun. It was cool to like, because he was willing to kind of uh, hop in and do something weird with me. Nice. To like get to know each other better. Nice. You know, that was cool. Cool. But that's not why we're here. I'm honored to be here. Oh, well. I'm, I'm, I'm number 31, is that it? Yeah, number okay. 31, man. <laughs> I think I pre like I because we were t- we've been talking about this for a year. Mm-hmm. I think like on episode 3 or 4 I was like, I think Sean Holt's coming in next week. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah. This is How'd the that work out for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good, man. Um cool. No, but I like this is like so many conversations that I want to have with you. Um, We've already had a lot of conversations. Uh, we have had yeah. a lot of conversations, and I don't want to just rehash old shit. Sure, I wanna sure. Dig in if you're down. All right. I didn't, um, I didn't prepare, but I'll do my best. This is yeah, we're just we're just having the same conversations, and okay. there's mics here. Um, just about time management, you know, because I'm I'm coming to realize that like there's really so many only so many hours in the day, mm. you know. Mm. Um, and I'm such a people pleaser type of person mm-hmm. where I'm so inclined to give my time away and give myself away, you know, um, that it's just tr- finding that point of diminishing return where it's like after giving so much, like you stop getting the return from giving, you know, um, because I want to challenge myself in certain ways and like maybe as opposed to just avoiding difficult relationships trying to let them inform me as far as like how I can grow as a person. But then at a certain point, it's like, why am I just trying to hang out with assholes all day <laughs> and make myself like them? Yes. Why? It's because I have such limited time. Why not spend it with people that I care about that I know that I love, you yes, know, that you feel good about pouring yourself into. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so it's a, it's an interesting line because there are so many points in my life where I've like judged people who have become like my best friends, you know, and I don't want to miss an opportunity for growth. But at the same time, it's like, Life is also not every moment is a spiritual exercise, or should it be profound? Right? Yeah, well, you exactly. Have to, it's a fine line between the people yeah. that you learn to invest in that you weren't sure about. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, well, th- those those are huge <laughs> topics. Um, I have a no asshole policy. Right. Um, I was a people pleaser earlier in my life, mm-hmm. and raised to be a you know good Southern boy and and uh, yeah. make his mama proud in every move. And uh, I think. You, when you start talking about specifically about time management, uh, you have to figure out uh, why you're spending your time on a person or a thing or, a, right. or you know. Um, and if your why is intact, if you can figure out what it is that you think you're you're giving or contributing or what it is you're getting back from something, contributions. Obviously, you talked about living in the service of 
of uh, your friends. I mean, I do a lot of stuff for myself. Obviously. That's a great not, reason to get off the couch. I'm not in habitats for humanities or anything. Sure, 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 sure. But but that's a good reason to get off the couch is to yeah. be in the service of others and opportunities and your talents. Um, but I think at the end of the day, you've got to you've got to make sure that you're getting you're getting yours too. Yeah. Um, this industry takes a lot out of you, right? And you've got to fill you up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, you know, as far as time management specifically, I, I'm a freak. Um, when it comes to managing my calendar. Yeah. Right. So, um, I, it's probably common knowledge that I am executive producer for a music library that does a lot of stuff for television shows. Um, I still enjoy the opportunity to sing on shows like dancing with the stars occasionally. And, um, a lot of sessions and not unlike the other faculty that are here at campus, it's really about, really about time management. Yeah. Um, not to mention your very committed father and husband. That's number one, right? That's <laughs> yeah. really number one. My, my, uh, my kids, uh, because they bring me such joy, but trying to make it, uh, trying to make all that fit is a right. big undertaking. So I have, uh, you know, specifically I have, you know, somewhere between 13 and 15 calendars going in my iCal and all beautiful different colors in any given, you know, any given week. And everything's on a tickler or a prompter or a alert. And uh, it really, I, if I didn't have that, if I didn't have a way of organizing my life, um, I probably wouldn't get it all done. Um, you uh, came up at 7 a.m. this morning with a little alarm reminding me that I had to get down here. So, oh, wow. I appreciate um, it. Well, you know, and, and I think some people may feel uh, a little bummed out by feeling so compartmentalized and or, and or uh, um, controlled by that situation. But I think <clears throat> for me, I look at the flip side of that. It's just, I, I want to suck everything I can out of the right. 12 to 14 to 18 hours I put in any given day. And when I'm segmenting my day parts and, and taking a look at it and seeing the big picture for the week and the month, it's also a great way for me to look back and track progress. So I can mm. go, Hey man, I actually got some stuff done this week. Right. My calendar right. proves it. All, all the, the little Crayolas, you know, colors that are on my, you know, on my ACAL page prove that things happened this week. And that feels really productive to me because I'm a couch potato like everybody else. If, if, I, if I don't give myself a reason to get off the couch, I'll stay on it. And so um, I, the busier I am, the more I get done, right? Um, the more, more things that are laid out in front of me, the more driven I am to add more to the calendar. And I find that's a, that's a good way to go at it. Mm, heck yeah. Taking that and just, um, I guess I've just been feeling like insecure as of late about um, just how I, like how I'm spending my time in general, you know, and like how much are we allowed to like pursue joy in this life and like, especially with just everything happening politically right now and it just seeming like indulgent for me to like be at a university and like singing songs and whatever, you know. What else would you be doing? That's the thing. <laughs> you know? This is a special time for your generation and without turning this cast into into you know, a political conversation. Um it's a call to action mm-hmm. for your generation. Right. Um and if you um fall on the side of the political spectrum that I perceive you to, then you probably say things that you think need fixing or things that need responding to or um, uh, and, and much like the, <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to cheapen any particular time in history, but much like mm. some of the things, some of the events that had happened back in the sixties, uh, where 
the the poets, the Dylans, the John Baez's, the right. people like that, that this, especially of the songwriting crew, mm-hmm. um, they stepped up. They realized, yeah. wait a minute, we have to be able to articulate ideas here that the kids that are five to ten years younger than us who feel these things but can't put these things into words, mm-hmm. we've got to be able to tell them, you know, uh, how how to think about these things. Yeah, you're an amazing uh, storyteller. Thanks, man. And uh, you and your classmates have a real opportunity here. And yeah. to the degree that you feel that um, things are unjust or things are going in the wrong direction, you're the very people. Nobody better than you yeah. to be telling a generation how to feel about this stuff, whether or not you think it's messed up, uh, whether or not you think changes, what changes should be implemented. Right. Uh, this is a really, this is not a peaceful time. It's a very divided time. Right. And so it's hard in these divided times, like how much am I, because there's, there's just too much to plug into as far as, because you can spend your whole day just like in righteous anger trying well, you, to read i think <laughs> oh, i think as songwriters especially if, if i'm thinking about you and, and artists i think you have to pull back a level yeah right you can't get buried in the minutiae that was on the you know on the the uh, lower third on the television for the last 45 minutes you've yeah. got to back up a couple of degrees and see right. see if you can see a pattern in this madness yeah, and then find a way to think about it that's different than everybody mm-hmm. else, right? You're, you're, you've got to do your George Carlin on this bit, right? You've right. Got to think right. about this stuff so much that you can turn it inside out. Yeah, <clears throat> and I'm also going to pay more attention to you if you can articulate the other side that you disagree with. If you can articulate that position yeah. as well as you can articulate yours, absolutely. That's the Michael Moore thing, right? Where right. he gets on and 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 does such a good job at articulating the the Republican talking points that people think that he switched teams. And I, and I think that's how we get everybody to listen. Of course. Uh, and, and the thing that's most scary to me now is, is divisiveness mm-hmm. and, and people's like lack of willingness to have mm-hmm. conversations, you know? Um, we're all so worried about yeah. what it is we're thinking. We're thinking so much about what we want to say next that we quit listening. Yeah. And, uh, that's a real problem. Yeah. And the, the, the genteel nature of what it means to really communicate and, and, um, have a dialogue, right? I mean, look it up. A dialogue, right? Where we, we shut up sometimes. Yeah. And we listen more and talk less. That's mm. that's being lost. Yeah. And uh, I'm not telling you anything. You you grew up in the soundbite world, right? No. My world was much slower. Mm. I mean, to digress, when I was a kid, we'd go to my grandparents' house in East Texas, and my mom and my dad, my sister and I, would roll in and there's a porch swing and four or five Adirondack chairs and some sun tea. And that literally was the afternoon's activities. Yeah. Was, hey, we're going to park it here until our ass falls asleep, right? Yeah. And solve all the world's problems. Mm-hmm. And I still have that in my bones. Yeah. And I really enjoy uh, conversation in long form. And you do too. Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing this podcast. I do, yeah. Um, but I think we really start to understand people when we can sit quietly with them. Yes. And what I learned about that uh, growing up, that, that the, the ability to learn just to sit in silence, not have to fill up every moment, to be able to have that recognition looking across the room there and go, oh, yeah. And that, that happens with your peers, right? That happens. doesn't just happen with your grandpa. Right. When you can sit in silence with somebody and, and there's, a, there's a recognition there and you can do what you're doing now, which yeah. is a deep breath, yeah. um, then profound things are possible. And what we have to do is find out how to broaden our circle and bring more people into that, into that safe, comfortable space. And right. sometimes that's when it's worth, like you mentioned earlier, that's when it's worth sometimes for you to take a chance on maybe an unusual suspect, somebody that you wouldn't necessarily 
you know, right off the bat, see yourself hanging out with. Um, and you, you've got the intellect and the intuition to go, there's something there. Yeah. I need to give this person at least a 45 minute coffee and find out what makes them tick. Right. Of course. And then you've, then you've broken down walls. Yeah. And And you get to do that with thousands of people at a time with your music. Right. That's, that's a powerful thing you have there. Mm. Right. You can, you can throw one song up that flips the script on this whole thing and makes everybody wonder what side you're on. Or throw one song up and look at this issue that everybody's feeling completely trapped by. Yeah. And move four degrees to the left as a songwriter. Mm-hmm. Change your angle ever so slightly and just blow everybody's minds. Yeah. And make them slow down and take another look at it. So you, you do believe in the power of, of art um, in society? <laughs> That's why I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I'm here. I, I you know. Did you go through any, any times in your life where you were really grappling with... Is this is this a valid way to spend my time? No, the only time I get into trouble is when in the times of my life when I took myself too seriously. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what I try and do now is take my craft very seriously and, and right. not take myself very seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a, that's a good balance for me. Yeah. I want to know um, just more about more more about you in general. Like where see, where where are you from? I'm from Shreveport, Louisiana. Shreveport, Louisiana. There's no I in the first half of that word, just Louisiana. Louisiana? Mm-hmm. What was it like growing up there? It was great. It was a wonderful place to be from. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, you know, there were some things there that I uh, loved. I loved the people. Yeah. I loved their big hearts. I loved mm-hmm. the food. Everything centered around a meal. That's not uncommon worldwide, but mm-hmm. it's a big deal down there, and it all has gravy on it, right? Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um. You know, my, <laughs> the way people, the way my grandmother showed me she loved me was to feed me even when I was stuffed, right? So if you walked right. into her house and said, oh, baby, I just made a cake. Oh, grandma, I couldn't. That meant you were going to have a full piece, right? That's my mother's the same way. Or like if you said, oh, I just ate, that meant you're going to have half a piece. And yeah. then if you said, I think I'm going to puke, there's no way, that meant you were at least going to taste it, right? Yeah. So, and if you didn't have <laughs> seconds at dinner time, you people were wondering whether or not you were under the weather. Right. So right, yeah. <laughs> I had to retrain my body growing older, you know, like to stop eating when I was full as opposed to when it was gone. Right. So that's part of every <laughs> culture, not just the South, but it's certainly a big deal where I come from. Yeah. Um, storytelling, man. So there's such amazing storytelling uh-huh. from that part of the world. And again, I know that's not um, specific to only that region, but, but I think at least the time I grew up in, um, you know, it wasn't so much about uh, your your vocabulary. It was could you hold somebody's imagination for a minute, right? Right. And I learned all about the things that I use as a singer and a songwriter now in the way of inflection, right? And tone color and um, breathing. All these things were tribal, right? I mean, I, yeah. my grandfather could talk for a minute and you know keep going for a second, and, I, and then this grand pause. And then lay the point of the story on yeah. you. And I realized that, you know, that that showed up in church, mm-hmm. you know, it showed up, it showed up in politics. It showed up in my school teachers. There was this, yeah. this, this rhythmic, uh, approach to storytelling, which was really rich in that part of the world. Mm-hmm. Now, after I traveled the world, I realized, oh, New York has its own cadence and, oh, check that out. You know, right. uh, you know, Japan has its own cadence and we, and you know, we're all captivated by those things that we, you know, from, uh, that we grow up around, but 
it was a cool place to be. I got to play yeah. a lot of live music in a scene where if I had grown up in L.A., for example, I probably would not have been given the chance. So at 16, I'm in a band full of four or five 35-year-olds. Mm-hmm. And playing sax, playing playing, singing, playing sax, anything I wanted Uh to grab. There were no rules. Right. So it's when I'm 15 that I'm learning how to play Wiro or I'm learning how to play congas. Why? Because we need a conga player in the band and and nobody's got one. So I go down to the pawn shop and pick up an LP conga that, you know, was probably from 1950. Yeah. uh, And uh, and teach myself to play it. As opposed to L.A. where everybody would have 10 guys to call. Yeah, of course. There were resources out here, right? Back there, I didn't even know what a tumbao was, right? Mm -hmm. I was doing it wrong, but the fact was is I was grooving and, and there was no judgment. And there's a lot of value to growing up in smaller places where maybe the bar's not so high. Um, I grew up around some amazing musicians, the Blade Brothers, Brian Blade, Brady Blade, some some great guys that have gone on to do amazing things and but we were all we were all given permission to kind of just suck, right? Yeah. And there's real power in having permission to suck. You know, I, I didn't I wasn't taken out to hear legends uh, mm-hmm. three or four nights a week like you can find in L.A. and then talking myself out of a career. I was oblivious and blissfully so. Um, I knew music was important to me. I knew I wanted to play it. I was hanging out with the guys that did it best in town. Most of them were just nutbags um, with failed marriages and, you know, three families. But they loved what they did and they were they were enslaved to the to the to the music. Right. And so, uh, I mean, I had great high school experiences, uh, honor bands, you know, all that kind of stuff. It was, yeah, it was fairly, fairly uh, run of the mill. Uh, mm-hmm. That you know, the the growing up back there. Yeah, big fields, lots of dirt bikes, uh, played sports. You know, fairly, uh, uh, fairly regular stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when did you come out here? I came out here to get my master's degree after I finished undergraduate. I got accepted right. to the uh, jazz studies program here at USC. Heck yeah. Tom Mason was the chair at the time, and, and uh, I knew so little, really, about what I needed to know. Yeah. But uh, the big band was getting ready to go to Tokyo and Germany and do some of these uh, sister city events that, that uh, Los Angeles was doing with some of these other countries around the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, hey, you play saxophone. Hey, you sing. I'll put you out front. You can do some El Torme tunes. And I, that's the first time I realized that my diversity was going to win for me. Right. That's when I realized, wow, maybe if I do a few of these things, and mm-hmm. you know, then uh, I'll get more opportunities. Right. And my entire career has been about you know, making diversity work. Right. Speaking, speaking on that, um, how do you find in your, your week to week basis, because you're doing so many different things, like I'm sure there's an element of wanting to have certain itches scratched as far as like, okay, this is my public speaking thing. This is my creativity thing. This is my, then I have to unplug and relax for a second. You know, um, how do you, how do you manage those different, those different needs? Um, and do, do you find, you're a person that needs sort of like a couple different balls in the air or well i really do enjoy a lot of things going on at one time yeah. but i've also gotten really good at saying no mm-hmm. and in my youth i had no idea how to say no i was so taken when people wanted me to be a part of something right i was so flattered yeah that somebody would tell me oh man the way you do that thing we've got to have you in our group we only have nine rehearsals before the job and it pays 50 bucks and it's in san diego and it was always yes. Are yeah. you kidding? You want me in the group? Absolutely. Yeah. And it wasn't until I got a little older and started hanging out with some of my mentors, you know, the guys who, who were out there doing right. it well, 
And who are some of those guys? Man, probably one of my biggest mentors would be a drummer uh, who passed away a few years ago. His name's Ricky Lawson. I met Ricky on a jazz harp session with Lori Andrews. And yeah. Lori called me and said, hey, man, I'm going to be doing um, a live uh, to two track um, recording. And I and I would love to have you come in and sing a cover of Bobby Caldwell's What You Won't Do For Love. Mm-hmm. And I went, well, God, I've sung that a thousand times. How hard could that be? And I walk in and Ricky Lawson's at the drums. And I'm like, what? Right? Yeah. I wouldn't have slept the night before if I'd have known that this icon yeah. who played with everybody from Michael Jackson to Whitney to, you know, all these people was going to be there on the drums. And uh, we did the song five or six or seven times all the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, and thankfully that day I wasn't making any mistakes. And after the session was over, he came over. He goes, yo, little brother. I need your phone number. And I said, yes, you do. And I gave him my number and I made yeah. the mistake of not getting his. Uh, and he left and I was on crowd, just on cloud nine thinking, man, I'm going to do something with Ricky Lawson. Now that at the time he was touring with everybody from Phil Collins to, you know, uh, Clapton. Right. And I just knew I was going to get the call to go do the Clapton tour. Right. And at the time, I think I was probably around 25, 26, uh-huh. two years went by. I hair feel, on your head at this point? Uh, a little more hair on my head, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it was, a, it was a horrible comeback, which is a whole other conversation. But never a come over. Anyway, we uh, I, a couple of years went by. I never saw, never ran into Ricky again, didn't hear from him. And uh, one day I'm uh, riding down the road with my new Motorola flip phone, you know. Yeah. And uh, I get a phone call. Hey, hey, hey. I said, who's this? It's Ricky, Ricky, Ricky. And anybody that knows Ricky Lawson knows that he always had the, you know, the hey, 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 and the Ricky, Ricky, Ricky. Yeah. He goes, I'm doing a solo record, and I want you to sing a song on my record. And I said, get out of here. He goes, no, no, man, everybody's going to be on the record, man. Marcus Miller, and he just started naming everybody. Nathan East, The Emotions, Al Jarreau, Vesta Williams. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> and he goes, no, man, we need to do a mic shootout. I want to find out which mic you sound best on. So come by the studio, and I'll show you the tune. Oh, yeah, Phil Collins wrote your song. And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, and we're playing this. Uh, we're playing this week. We're doing some kind of private gig over in Westwood. Uh, bring your girlfriend. That was my, you know, at the time, uh, my wife. We rolled by. When and, did she come in the picture, real quick? Uh, we met in '93, uh-huh. and we got married in '97. Okay, I want to get back to that. But back I in the 1900s, the yeah. But um, but uh, we we roll in. Ricky brings us into Phil's trailer. Phil goes, "Oh, you're the guy that's going to sing that song." I'm like, "Man, how do I?" <laughs> you know. <laughs> And uh, and uh, we got to be just got to be really cordial that evening. Got to watch the show, and then before the record was over, I had a chance to sing uh, five leads on the album. And so Ricky became a really strong um, mentor for me and telling me how to think about this business. And it was at that time that I realized it was as important for me to know how to think about this thing as it was to know, you know. what the notes were or, you know, to know my instrument, this, right. this, this, this industry had a certain way of, you know, that you, you needed to know how to be in it and the concepts like social IQ and knowing when to read a room and knowing, and knowing when not to show everybody everything you do, mm-hmm. uh, show up for why you were hired and let them discover all the other things that, that are possible. Um, Ricky, Ricky was, was certainly one of the most important, uh, people at, at that time in my life brought me along, introduced mm-hmm. me to half of my half of of my uh, friends for the for the you know for the next twenty years. Young guys that he would bring along at the time. That's what I loved about him. I didn't realize how special it was, but at the time, 
I met Alex Al, who, you know, is the basis to the stars. And at that time, you know, he had more hair too. And he was 24, 25. And so we're both there. And then I met CC Thomas, another bass player. I mean, all these rhythm section guys that were just incredible who have gone on to do amazing things in their career. But at the time we were all just so glad to be hanging out with Rick. Yeah. Um, Anyway, I could go on forever about that guy, but I miss him and I love him. And he, yeah. you know, it's, he went way too early. Mm. When did, so when did your wife come into the picture? When did you guys meet? I met her at a gig. Uh, I got hired to do a, an event as a band leader, just some private event over at Century Plaza Towers. And I think it was there. Maybe it was in Pasadena. I can't remember. But this uh, lady that I had been talking to on the phone over and over again about details for some of these private jobs. Um, I've never met her. And so I'm standing there getting ready for this really big event and I'm uh, getting all the musicians lined up and we're going to do all these play ons. And, you know, it's like a, like an award show. And, uh, she takes off walking across the dance floor before the, the event started. And one of the other ladies that was, that was in the office that I knew was standing there. I said, who is that? She goes, that's Carolyn, man. You've been talking to her for, you know, six months on the phone. And I'm like, well, I've never seen her. So uh, I walk over and introduce myself. I say, hi, I'm Sean. She goes, I know who you are. Your pictures are all over the wall. And, you know, completely put me in my place from the very minute I said hello. And she's been putting, in my, putting me in my place for 24 uh, years. Yeah. Uh, since then, yeah. Had you had many relationships before that? I had. Yeah, uh-huh. I had been in long ones. I had been in uh, wrong ones. Yeah. I had been in uh, just, a, just a bunch of them. And I, and I think... Uh, like we were talking about earlier, I, I was probably attracting the wrong kind of women because I hadn't really done too much work on myself. Right. And I wasn't really sure of what made me tick. And so I kept trying to put myself in situations that, that, uh, where I was looking for something and I was not going to find it anywhere else. I needed to find it inside. So yeah, when I finally did some of that work on myself and I started attracting different people, Right. Uh, you know, people that might not have found me interesting before all of a sudden had something to say to me because I had slowed uh-huh. down or taken, taken some time off. Um, but, uh, yeah, she's one of the brightest, uh, ladies in my life. Uh-huh. Very, very, uh, intelligent and, uh, really kicks ass at her, you know, at her work. And yeah, she's a great mom and she's been at Warner brothers for a long time, 18, 19 years. So we're pretty lucky. Did you know that you wanted to spend your life with her pretty early on? Pretty early, yeah. yeah. I was telling her I love her way too early. Right. She was making her uncomfortable. And uh, I told her we were going to make great parents Yeah. really early. And she was like, no, I'm not ready for any of that, right? Right. I said, come on, we're going to be really good at this. And they're going to be cute too, right? Yeah. And she thought I was crazy. And I finally talked her into it. And yeah. uh, now we've got a 15-year-old and an almost 12-year-old. Yeah. Good stuff. Have you got... How, how has it been... Um, just growing with somebody for that long, um, I'm sure comes with like, like, yes, you're the same people in a lot of ways, but I mean, you know what, man, a very famous trumpet player who, who's just one of the greatest guys right after I got married, we were on a session together Yeah, and his name is Harry Kim. And I said, Harry, man, you've been married all this time. Yeah. Tell a brother what the secret to staying married for a long time is, right? Because I yeah. don't want to mess this up. Right. And he looked at me with the sweetest face and he goes, you want to know what it is? I said, yeah. He goes, lower your expectations. 
Right. And I went, what? How could you be cynical at a time like this, right? Because at the time, I thought, you know, I was exposed, I was, ex- I was supposed to expect the best from, or the most from her and the most from myself and yeah. these real idealistic kinds of ways of being in the world. And he goes, no, I know you're missing my point. He goes, if you set people up to fail all the time because you want too much from them, then they do fail because you'll keep moving the line back. You'll keep moving yeah. back. The more you need them to prove that they care about you or that they love you, you'll keep moving that line back, and they're not going to win very often. He goes, mm. if you set them up to succeed, i.e. lower your expectations every day, then everything they do is a gift. Right. And that blew my mind. And so Carol and I have continually just tried to, and it's gotten better as we've gotten older. When we were younger, you know, we would, you know, intellectually beat the hell out of each other because we had shit to prove and we're both type A's, Right. But as we've gotten older, we've relaxed into to these uh, truths, and we realize that some of this stuff really doesn't come alive in your bones until you've lived a while and until you've started yeah. raising kids. Yeah. And you see all your worst habits show up in your kids. Oh, man, that's when you really know you've got to own your stuff. Really? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. You know, you see your little boy do something that you do, and you're like, oh, I know where he got that from, right? So I better check myself. Right. Anyway, I, lo- I always loved Harry's words, and I pass them on every time I get every time mm. I get a chance. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. Um, just out of curiosity, I noticed you didn't mention your father um, when you were talking about Louisiana. Mm. Were you guys close? Did you guys have a relationship? Closest guy in my life. Really? Absolutely, uh, my greatest influence. Mm. Yeah, he uh, he's a long story. Right. He's a full podcast all by himself. <laughs> The only he, reason I framed the question that way, I just didn't know if he was in your life at all. I didn't want to. Oh God! Yeah, you. I was really lucky to have my parents, and they were both very supportive. Right. But my dad was. Um, he was. He was beautiful. Yeah. Um, he passed away uh, a few years ago, and uh, I'm sorry. Oh, it's it's it was that's a long story, but he's uh, yeah. he's good now. But he he uh, he raced cars. He raced uh, boats. Yeah. He got me into theatrics. We were both professional clowns together. It was a time yes. at two years old where I was one of the youngest professional clowns in the United States. Yeah. Um, we did rodeos and circuses and all kinds of stuff. He, he, um, amazing. Yeah. He was a, he, he, <laughs> he tried rodeo clowning. He was a great, uh, sales, salesman, marketing guy. Right. And he always owned his own companies. And so he always mm. had a certain amount of flexibility in his schedule. Yeah. And I so appreciate that now yeah. when I'm fighting to find an extra hour to get to my son's baseball game, I look yeah. back and go, oh, yeah, dad would have been at every one of them yeah. because he was capable of moving this, moving this stuff around. So every time I looked up, dad was there. Yeah. And that's really special. Really, really special. But he, uh, he is, uh, he's the reason I am who I am. Right. He was a real people person and, and totally a dreamer. Just such a dreamer. And when he found out that music was waking up in me, he didn't play a thing. He didn't sing a note, but he was a massive music fan and probably enjoyed music as much or more than anybody I've ever met until I met my wife. Yeah. She's just a complete uh, fiend for new music and and bands. And she was telling me that Toad and the Wet Sprocket was going to be big way before anybody else knew. She Uh was tracking... You know, she's always been the one that was checking somebody out at University of Michigan, you know, on, you know, hash bash uh, before they even hit the, you know, before they hit the scene. So she's yeah. she's w- way into it, especially as we were younger and had more time. But dad was uh, very supportive in what I wanted to do. He understood nothing about it. Yeah. But at 2 a.m. in the morning when I was finishing a job, he would be the guy that was out there with the truck 
helping me load the gear in from the band and you know yeah. putting driving walking through the mud puddles to take everything into the house and you know um he was my crew he was my manager he was my my buddy you know he was yeah. the, he was the fifth beetle and Amazing. um I, I was really lucky to have him yeah were you raised with any kind of faith system in your house? Yeah, or? we were raised Baptist mm-hmm. in the South. And, um, Do you still identify as Baptist? Not really. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 uh, I, I work on my faith. Right. I, but I, I, the older I get and the more I learn about the different belief systems and the, uh, the similarities that we share with cultures that are older and cultures that are different and things that, that come from over, I, 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 I let go of a lot of what I consider to probably be a little bit more of the structure and the dogma yeah, and am really searching just more for the truths that live in me. Correct. And, uh, the more I know, the more I need, uh, the more I realize I don't know, which is the truth about anything. Right. Yeah. The more you realize, ah, you, you probably just need to work this out in yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so I grew up with a lot of answers, but right. none of them were tested. Right. And the older I've gotten, I've really enjoyed testing my testing those answers. Mm. And, um, right. But I am a person of faith and I and I and I do believe that there is a grand scheme. Yeah. But I can't necessarily tell you everything that uh, that's in play. No, of course. And I, I think that's that's so much of it. That's part of it, you know, yeah. is reconciling your relationship with the unknown. Yeah. Faith know? is, you know, is believing in things you can't see. Right. Right. And and so um, I'm lucky to have some of that in my life. Right. But I'm I'm I. Uh, I grew up so quick to serve up the answers because of the community that I lived in. Right. That I realized that I had never, nece- you know, necessarily slowed down to find out whether or not they were true in me and whether or not I had vetted that that stuff. And, and, yeah. Uh, and so I'm I'm happy. I'm this beautiful, blissful mix of, you know, uh, dogma and and the 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 need to dig a little deeper and right. read Yogananda and read, you know, move out and, and figure out where some of these truths may lie in other areas. And the more right. I realize that there's similarities across yeah. the faith communities, that's that, that gets exciting for me because it means there's some of this has got to be true and real, yeah. and, but it doesn't have to all live in my camp. Exactly. And that makes it more encouraging for me. Right. And, and in a similar way, like, uh, like if you're only trying to, focus on kick drum patterns from James Brown records. It's like, you're only going to get so far. That's part of the story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, everyone's trying to figure it out. Why not compare notes? That's you know? right. <laughs> but I see the divine everywhere. Yeah. I see the divine. Um, and I, and I know that, that, um, we're not accidents and, and, uh, but I don't necessarily think it all started 5,000 years ago. So mm-hmm. I'm somewhere in between realizing that there is a, right. there's a beautiful, blissful thing in play. And, yeah. and the timeline might need some work done on it. Right. right. I think that's a very wise perspective. And I think a lot of people from my generation tend to discard the whole thing because of some of the structure and the dogma and the politics, really. Um, and I think that they're, like, as a culture... I think we're a little deprived mythically. I agree. You know, <laughs> I agree. I think the search and the quest for divinity is beautiful. Yeah. And I think that, um, we can find it in each other. If we can find it in each other and we yeah. can find it in a flower and we can find it in a song. Right. Then chances are the source is probably a lot deeper and a lot bigger. Uh huh. And then that we can, it can wait, that can wake up in all of us individually. Right. Right. Totally. We're better when we're aiming at those ideas. Yes. And, and that's and that's what I know. Absolutely. And, and not to to cast out like skepticism like that's important, you know? Mm-hmm. And and a lot of those reasons that I at a younger age and a lot of people my age are um 
raging against the machine in that are, are good reasons. You know, there there are suspect reasons when, when like certain institutions are acting in uh, you know malicious ways or in unholy ways. All oh, the know? worst things in the world have been done in the name of religion. Exactly, and, and there's enough reasons to hate the whole machine. Right. But I don't think, I, I think that's just where people went wrong. People, exactly. You know, and people are the ones who are going to mess up any any institution. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I don't, um, yeah, I, I'm not necessarily so profound in all of this, but I, I get quiet and I listen more than I talk. Right. I'll put it that way. Yeah. I was listening to a, um, the NPR Politics mm. podcast, they have mm. a podcast that they do, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, they were getting like listener mail questions about why they weren't more upset when they were reporting, mm. um, which is very interesting because I'll find that, um, especially amongst my young liberal friends, there's almost a contest of just like whoever's the most upset is the best person or something. Right, it's you a know? badge of honor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but um, it was just so interesting to to hear people of color and people of uh, you know different faith traditions and and people whose kind of identities and place in the country were being questioned have really um just calm conversations about what was happening and just more interested in kind of reporting what was happening and just hearing them there's this one reporter named sam sanders um and people were i forget who but someone was banned from uh speaking at certain universities you know and he was saying how even though he didn't agree with this guy's politics at, at all he's not in the business of telling people not to talk, <laughs> you know? Well, we become part of the problem. Right. If you're not willing to, you know, what have been, what, what, uh, is more valuable, I think in that moment is, is letting that person take the stage. Right. And then undress them verbally with your cogent arguments. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. uh, I think cause the minute you become indifferent and you close the door on, on, you know, the people that we disagree with, well, mm-hmm. we see where that's gotten us. Right. We're right in the middle of where that's gotten us. Exactly. And, and to respond to divisiveness with more divisiveness. Yeah, nobody wins that. Because yeah. we're all going to stick to our talking points anyway, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I do, I'm, I'm, I find myself embarrassed about just how little I know. And I, I, I really track right. the political spectrum. I mm-hmm. really track... Um, the social science. Yeah. And, and what I, are some of your avenues? Like, do you, do you stick to certain sources that you find more reliable? Man, because just of to have conversations? how crazy I am, I try and listen to as many uh, people as I can. Yeah. Just because I'm usually in my car. Um, so I'd love to say I'm, I'm more well-read, but I don't find that time in my life, at least at this time in my life. But I try to listen to people I disagree with. I right. try to find folks in the center that are still willing to take a position. Uh, one of my favorite hosts is a guy named Michael Smirkana. She's on um, Sirius, and yeah, he just he, he he's uh, he has this way of without being salacious and trying to you know or provocateur. He yeah, he has this way of being really thoughtful about all mm. angles, and uh, and I really enjoy that the most. Um, none of us have got a handle on you know or got a our our we don't have the the whole thing cornered, right? Right? Liberals are just as guilty about half the crap that we're involved with as massive conservatives are and yeah. the labels all fall short yes. um i uh, i try and stay away from clickbait you know right. I'm trying to read more bylines now and figure out what the source was for something but uh-huh. what i think this crazy time has done for me that's been positive is that it's really opened my eyes to just how biased we all are yeah <clears throat> and i won't go as far as using phrases like 
fake news for the major outlets. But I do think everybody's got their bent. Yeah. And it's our job to dig past yeah. bias and dig past the agenda and see if we can make some sense out of this so we can have more meaningful conversations. Right. And that sounds fairly kumbaya, but uh, that's the only thing that's going to change. Yeah. Right? Look, it's easiest for me to walk through the world. I'm an overweight white guy with a, you know, with a gray beard. And very few rooms see me coming that don't make a place for me. And what I learn the older I get is that it's my job to try and put myself in, in, in the other people's yeah. shoes, right? And, and not just for the five minutes that I'm, you know, that I'm trying to be empathic. I mean, I've really got to imagine what it feels like to walk in this world like my wife walks in this world or my daughter walks in this world or yeah. people of color walk in this world. And, yeah. and that's when I really feel the need to shut up and just do a whole lot of listening. Yeah. Um, because I can't possibly know. <laughs> I can't possibly know. But I find myself yeah. in their eyes. Right. I find myself in people's eyes. And when I look in their eyes and see, oh, man, they're every bit the same thing I am. They're built of the same stuff I am. Yeah. But they don't live the same existence I do. And maybe I mm -hmm. need to listen a little bit more because my day-to-day right. -day is not that difficult. Yeah. And I'm just lucky. Right, I don't get to take credit for this. I'm, I'm lucky for all the a lot of the wrong reasons, just because of our institutions and the way yeah. this thing. You know, there's some there's some wacky stuff that's in play. Some wacky stuff, and I don't agree with any of it. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I I can't carry a torch um, that I can't completely understand. Right. So I I try and stand next to the torch bearers. Yes. And learn more and listen more. Of course. And, and wake up. And, yeah. And and right now is a scary time for a lot of people to be walking around. And uh, uh, it's not it's not a time that's bringing out the best in people. So I feel the same way, and I, I do feel a similar sense of duty with all this extra privilege, you know, to try to use it to amplify and to be an ally, you know, of of change. Absolutely. Um, but I do think it's tricky, um, especially just in in the conversation of trying to connect to people and empathize with people mm -hmm. and understand different perspectives. We can go too far. We can go too far, we can go and too we far. can normalize, and we, we sure can, can we can say like, oh, you know, racists are misunderstood, and, mm. and things like that. Yeah, um, which it's important to humanize people for sure. But at the end of the day, there there are just going to be things that we disagree on, and like, at what point do you just stand up for what you think is well, right? Well, I think that's what you've got to do. You got to form yeah. your own opinion, right? <laughs> and I think this is this like individuals. These subjects are highly nuanced. Yeah. And so, you know, the liberal wants to go defend everybody they come across. And, and some people yeah. don't need defending. They do quite a fine job on their own. <laughs> what we really need to do is hear their point of view and their perspective more than try and set ourselves up next to them in that line of defense. Mm. We, we do a lot better just by listening. Yeah. Um, and totally. that takes patience. Right. It means that I don't have to. <clears throat> I need. <clears throat> I can't have an agenda, even if it's a good one. Yeah. Right. I just need to listen. Yeah, that's important. <laughs> what kind of things, um, I mean, obviously, besides all the stuff we've been talking about, um, as an artist, as a man, um, what kind of things are bouncing around in your head these days as far as like... I've gone through some real changes. I never saw myself in education. Yeah. I was a... Uh, I just didn't see this. Uh, Chris invited me down. Tim Cobza made it possible uh, for me to come down here. And Chris invited me to come down and be a part of a forum five five years ago, six years ago. And 
I was blown away that the, there was a place that was teaching what I had done for the last 25 years. Nobody was proliferating any myths about the industry. Everybody was being told the straight poop on, you know, what this is and what it's not. And I was taken back. It was not the way I had been educated. And um, it represented a real shift for me. And I went, wait a minute. This is just this is just a real meaningful conversation going on down here, right? Yeah. Um, I didn't feel like everybody was showing their education. Yet I'm looking around and the faculty's incredible. And, and, uh, and so I, f- I feel really fortunate. Um, Chris saw something I didn't even see, and he asked me to uh, teach a class and, and uh, stick my toe in the water. And um, yeah. that was with some of the people that have gone on to graduate from here, you know, the Brian Joneses and Pacinos and those guys, and that was my first class. Um, and it was really eye-opening for me um, because I realized that I had more energy for their path, as much or more energy for their path as I had for mine. And that represented a real shift. Right. I taught a little earlier when I got out of grad school. And at the time I, I feel like I, I did, I did the job kind of a disservice because I still had too many things to prove to myself. And there was, there was still work to be done. And I wanted to know that I was legit and it yeah. was hard for me to be selfless. Um, uh, when I still wanted to be selfish. Right. right. And as I've gotten older, uh, and been able to, uh, uh, experience wonderful opportunities and have what I consider to be wins in my career. Um, I don't require them as much. I'm not defined by them as much. And that convergence with parenting and, you know, just maybe a little bit wiser and seeing myself in guys like you, um, it's a good fit for me. And so I, uh, it really is a big part of what makes me tick now. I can't take myself out of the game. Right. I'm still very, very interested in what I do. I still love collaborating. When I pick up my horn or I pick up a microphone, I still come alive. Um, But I'm not I'm not only defined by those experiences Mm -hmm. and I'm finding myself to be much more uh, just much more engaged because you are keeping all of this relevant for me. Right. And you guys teach me. Um, It's wonderful for me to walk around and ask you for your top 50 bands you send me an email, and then all of a sudden, you know, within a few hours of me dropping the needle, I'm part of a relevant conversation. Right. And I can guarantee you that all of my peers that are not around younger people, for the most part, yeah, have no freaking clue about anything that's come out after, you know, Prince's third record, right? Yeah. Um, with the exception of whatever, you know, they get invaded with. Uh, you guys are always making me realize, ah, oh, this is, I can hear so-and-so's music in that thing, but wow, this is, this yeah. is version 2.0. This is really cool. I'm digging this. I can see, I can see similarities here. And then the beautiful thing yeah. is while you make me available, <clears throat> you make the newer music available to me and you make me aware of what's going on. I get to show you the through line right, and take you back 40 to 50 years and go, yeah. Let me show you why that thing has a chance of being here. That doesn't mean it's not original, but we're only right. dealing with 12 semitones, right? So the chances yeah. are we're going to end up in some some fairly familiar territory as yeah. we move along, right? Yeah. And it's fun for me to go, yeah, that was a Grateful Dead, but now it ends up being, you know, this guy over here. Right. And um, so we all get to show each other what we know. Um, yeah. Um, and we all get to broaden uh, each other's, uh, you know, uh, influences. Yeah. That's really fun for me. I'm quite sure that I, I would be a little bit more stayed. I'd be a little crotchetier. 
Mm. Um, I'd be a little more indifferent to the next generation if I didn't realize how cool you guys were. And Mm. I promise you, you're better humans than we were. And here's why. My generation was all about getting mine. Uh, It really was. Assimilation was not even in my vocabulary. If I was in a room full of people, I was trying to figure out how how best and how quickly I could separate myself from them in the way of my talents and my pursuits. Um, I didn't want to bring anybody along for the ride. Uh, it was it was all about you know I want mine, and uh, your generation's far different. You guys, you're more comfortable if you've got your your crew around you, and you like it when everybody wins. Mm. And there's there's something to that. Um, yeah, there's something really really human. Uh, and wonderful about that. Yeah. There's, that's mean, got more humanity on yeah. it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, you share. You're willing to look across the room, and even though you might be a little undone by somebody or intimidated by somebody, you, you're able to see the value in what they contribute. My generation, if somebody was better than I was, I just tuned them out. I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to have to face it. I didn't want to say, oh, there's something I could grow at. And that was short-sighted, and it took me years to, to kind of outlive that uh, way of being in the world. Mm. And I don't find you guys have that, especially getting to spend as much time as I do with you and teaching and all those kinds of things. I get to see you at your best. Interesting. That's really interesting. Doesn't mean you're not unnerved every now and then when you look oh. across the room and somebody's kicking your ass at something. Certainly, right? certainly not. But you don't. Uh, it does. It, it informs you. Yeah, it informs you definitely. And it'll be interesting to, for me to look back and see about like what my generation, you know, what our missteps were. Um, mm-hmm. And it's hard to look forward to look back to be present you know yeah if i had one thing to say to your generation it would be find your fire you mm. know find your fire don't be afraid to be to step out every now and then right and don't be afraid to uh to to borrow some of those things i'm expressing to you about what it means to be bold and be fierce and and you know step out a uh, step out of line every now and then yeah because um, that's necessary too yeah definitely i think um I don't know. Um, also, but please let me know when I got to get out of here because I respect your time. No, we got another little, little bit here. We're good. <laughs> cool, man. Um, yeah, just, I mean, and everybody's got a different opinion about this. Um, but just like, you know, how am I, how am I allowed to spend my time? Am I allowed to, like, to what extent is investing in myself wise, you know, just for me, I've been thinking a lot about this line between wisdom and compassion, you know, and wisdom being the thing that allows you to take care of yourself and feed yourself, but then everyone else starves, and then compassion the thing that, like, you, you want to feed everyone else. Oh, see, I look starve. at that completely different. See, I think wisdom comes through compassion. Mm. I don't think you're going to learn shit about the way the world works while you're sequestered. Uh-huh. If you really want to be wise, you've got to have your hands in the in the dirt and right. you've got to be involved with other humans and yeah. you've got to try and find yourself in those people and their experiences, yeah. right? Yeah. So, yeah, true wisdom does does not is not an isolated experience. It doesn't live in books. Uh-huh. Books get written by people who were busy doing things. Right. Right? Great wise people in my in my estimation aren't necessarily the ones who read the books, they're the ones who write the books. And so Get out there and write your book, right? right? And you'll become really, really wise. <laughs> yeah. Um, everything, every bit of wisdom I picked up, you know, uh, the has always been through doing. Right. Now, there's nothing cooler than being able to coin a phrase, right, or being able to talk about something because an author gave a name to it or assigned a, a you know, a, a, assigned a way of thinking about something. Yeah. 
But, you know, wisdom's kind of pre-verbal, right? It's the knowingness of everything, right? It's the yeah. way we interact. It's the it's it's like this stuff we were talking about earlier about what it means to get to get still, yeah, and get quiet and just know, yeah, right. That's that stuff that lives way back in the universe and yeah. old, it's older than you, right? You don't think that you're just twenty years old, do you? Or just twenty one? I don't know, man. I really don't believe that. I don't think these <laughs> lyrics that come out of you are, you know, I, I think they're older than you. I think I think they're the this this wisdom. It, it uh, it's nothing you can take credit for. Right? Yeah, nothing I mean, you can take credit for. That's that's this an stuff idea that comes resonates down through with me you. It doesn't come lot. from you. Yeah, if it came from you, how boring would that be? <laughs> Why would I be excited about a twenty-two-year-old's song? Right? Yeah, that's I'd be true. like, oh, come on, really? Go live a little bit and come back and talk to me. Yet some yeah. of the things you guys come up with, uh. you can't know it. Yeah, but you're articulating themes that are millions of years old. Yeah, yeah, and you're, you're stepping all in the middle of this sublime. You know, way of of expressing these these thoughts, things that have never even occurred to me. And I go, you know what? There ain't no way that guy's been on the planet long enough <laughs> to be able to take credit for that thought. That thing came through him. And that's when I know that there's divinity. And that's when I know that things are much older than we are. Yeah. And that's where wisdom lives. Wisdom lives mm. out in that ether. Right? right. I think it's always been there. It's It's up to us to tap into it. I don't think wisdom emanates from us. Yeah. I think we just make ourselves more available to it. Right. Right? Yeah. And that way we don't hoard it, and that way we can share it. Yeah. And that's what makes this teaching thing that I'm doing so much fun for me. Right. You know, I could be full of shit about a lot of stuff, and I'm willing to hear that. Um, but these truths keep showing up. Mm. Right? Wisdom is just something you uh, something you can see a pattern in. Right. Right? Mm. So we look for patterns as humans anyway. And when you can find these patterns that that just continue being true, no matter what side of the fence you're on or what side of the railroad tracks you're on or what side of the, you know, political spectrum you're on, then that's the stuff that excites me. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, uh, I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I guess, I I don't know, this this is maybe more more questions for my therapist than you, but. (laughs) I'm I'm good. Yeah, I just feel, I feel a... uh, because there's this sense of duty and and whatever and and this sense of like oh I've been given a lot so I should uh I should try to give try to give it away you mm-hmm. know um I I find myself wrestling with a lot of guilt you know um and that guilt isn't useful at all <laughs> you know and as far as just like to what extent am I allowed to just enjoy my day you know and Fully. and find find joy and 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 relax you know and then why you do know? those have to be? Why does that have to be mutually exclusive? Why? I know. Why does you enjoying your day have to make you a martyr? Right. Why do you have to be selfish to be enjoying your day? Right. There are these two positions that my dad showed me, and then later we we would begin to articulate them. But and I, you've heard me say these before. But you know, happiness is so elusive when we're thinking about what we can get. Right. When we think happiness is something that lives outside of us that we have to go achieve. Right. Um, like this, you having a great day. We'll just call it happiness for the lack of a better word. Yeah. I don't think true happiness in my life has ever been possible when I wasn't a full of gratitude. Yeah. I mean, not the kind of gratitude that says, oh, I got, you know, I won the lottery or, you know, I got the I got the baby and the king cake. You know, not yeah. that kind of gratitude that's based on a something that happened in my favor. 
gratitude that says, wow, why am I the guy that was given all these gifts and all of these resources, whatever? It's, It's the gratitude that starts the day, not the one that reflects on the day. Right. Gratitude that just says, I am whole, I am here. I'm good, and, and, and through no doing of my own, I am yeah. massively equipped to go out and do some good stuff today. And when you start with gratitude, and then you move into a position of service, when you live in the service of right. great ideas, great people, people that don't have as much as you, the, your gifts, your talents, yeah. live in the service of all those things that you've been gifted, that you're grateful for, uh-huh. then the days end up being really, really good. And... You get everything yeah. you want out of the day, but it never plays as selfish. The happiest mm. people are the Mother Teresa's on the planet, right? Yeah. They don't own, you know, their own Mar-a-Lagos in South Florida. They they live in service, and they, right. they, they, they're the happiest ones. Look at the people that spend most of their time acquiring, and look at the look on their face. Yeah. Look at the color of their skin. Look at, yeah. you know, this all shows up on us. Yeah. Right? Definitely. And the ones who are the happiest, the ones who just blow my mind when I'm around them, like they radiate, right? Yeah. Almost always without fail. These are not selfish people. They yeah. turn all their energy outward. They don't turn it inward, right? Right. And like we've talked about with songwriting, it's about opening up and being a vessel to right. something coming through you, right? Yeah. Well, be that vessel in your life. Well, I, I see that, and, and, I, and, I, and I totally resonate with all of those things. Um, but it's tricky because... Um, You want to make this difficult, don't you? What? <laughs> this conversation or yeah, my life? No, your life. Your life. Yeah. 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 I don't probably. think it, I, Yeah. I think that's part of youth. I think youth. I think for anything to be profound, it has to. It has to be, you know, uh, difficult. Yeah. And um, and that's Fair all. Enough. That's all a lie. Yeah. That's all a lie. Yeah. You know, we sometimes in our lives we get so I you know so in love with the idea of solving something that we've cease to realize that there's really nothing to be solved, right? Or we get, the, we, we get um, with, in the, uh, so caught up in the idea of advocating for something and then realizing, oh, it really never even needed advocating for. It was always yeah. there. What was messed up about it was my relationship to whatever it was. Right. Right? This isn't really that difficult. Living well is not that difficult. It really is not. If you can maintain <laughs> these positions that I'm laying on you. Right. Then even at your worst day, you realize that you're you're not that moment. Yeah, you know you're so much more than that moment. You're so yeah. much more than whatever attitude you've got or whatever opinion you're holding. You're so capable of being changed and transformed in any given moment. Yeah. We, we, our, our state is changed moment by moment all day long. You know things that just a friend can walk up into a group talking and just the presence of that person walking up into that group can literally change the dynamic. Right. So we're highly affected people. Um, that ought to tell you something. It means you're not in charge of much. Yeah. Right? It means you're not capable of much. If just, you know, a, a strong personality walking up into a group can affect you either positively or negatively. It means you probably don't have as much of a handle on this as you think you do. So the, the positions that are most meaningful are not the ones that you internalize, but the ones that you point outward. Right. And then you you get to quit thinking about you. And I'll tell you something that sounds mm. really old and cliche, but I got really good at being me when I when I had my kids. Because right. for the first time in my life, my day was spent trying to figure out how to not let something fall apart, right? I mean, right. I had to, there was no, it wasn't like up in the air as to whether or not I was going to go to the store and get formula at one o'clock in the morning. 
I, you know, my son might not, my daughter might not be thriving by 6 a.m. if I don't go to the store and get formula. And so were things that before in my life had all been kind of like open to discussion or, you know, um, I could just sit there in, in all of the, uh, you know, and get myself all wrapped up in the theory of it all. Yeah. You know, at one o'clock in the morning when your kid wakes up and you're, you know, and your wife needs rest and there's no more milk in the fridge, you're going to CVS, right? Yeah. And for the first time, things get really clear. And then you realize, wow, yeah. I'm happiest when I when there's no question as to what my marching orders are. Right. I'm best when I just when I just have to get it done. Right. Right. And that's why you hear people say things that are cliche, like it's the hardest, most beautiful thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah. And then I started m- realizing that that logic and that knowledge wasn't supposed to just live. That wisdom wasn't supposed just to, wasn't supposed to only live in my relationship to my children. It was supposed to live in my relationship to my craft. It was supposed to live in my relationship to my students. It was supposed to live in my relationship with my forty-year-old friends. Where right. wait a minute, if I'm if I just get busy, you know, serving, yeah, then all of a sudden I'm not thinking about me as much. And guess what right. happens to your career? Yeah. Things just jump off. Yeah. Because you're no longer a part of the problem. Yeah. That's what really happens. Mm-hmm. Just about the time you quit obsessing about whatever it is you're working on is when the phone rings because you're putting different stuff out there. Yeah. And I know that sounds kind of, you know, kind of flighty, but. No, but, but like, but my, my question is like the outwards versus inward thing, like faith systems and self-help books and, and all this, all these, there's so much work that needs to be done. Inwards about okay. self love. Okay, you know what I'm sure. Saying? And it's like, yeah. well, what's the line between self love and self care and selfishness? And well, I'm just trying to get mine, you know, because like you got to get sleep, you got to take care of yourself. And you I know? do, you know. If you I show up six grumpy, hours, like, I get my seven hours, but yeah. I don't see that as <laughs> I don't I don't see that the sleep that I take or the sleep that I get or other restorative practices in your. I life. don't see anything restorative in my life coming at your expense, right? You know the old the old, and I've used this before, but you know the old. Uh, thing that happens when you get on the airplanes and they're talking to you and they're showing you where the safety masks are, right? And the first thing they say is, please put on your mask before you put on your child's, you know, whatever. That always wigged me out when I was younger. I'd be like, that's messed up, man. Take care of your kids, right? Yeah. And then you realize, wait a minute. I can't save my kids if I haven't taken care of myself, right? The mask has to go on me first. Then I can help so many other people around me. Maybe not, maybe not only my daughter, but that old man that's sitting right in front of me. Right. You know, that person that's behind me. Maybe I'm putting on masks like a crazy person while we're headed down. Yeah. Right? If mine's on. Yeah. So what it means to advocate for yourself, I don't see that as a zero-sum game. I still see that as a, a path toward right. service. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you read a book about what it means to to get whole or read a book about what, you know, from anything from from uh, psychology or philosophy to to, you know, to to the Bible, um, that's you putting your mask on. Right. Right. If you hoard all that, then what good did it do for you to be a student of those of those things? Yeah. So put them in practice. Yeah. Right. Don't become some book scholar that doesn't get out of the house. Get out there and see if this stuff lives, if it's true in you. Right. Right. And to that to that end, yes, you need to read like a crazy man. You need to go see your therapist. You need to make sure you call your mom once a week. You need to sit around with friends and not pick up a guitar. You need to do all the things that looks, you know, that practices your humanity. Yeah. Um, And music's just a music's really just an expression of humanity. Yeah. Right. It's it's a thing we do to show how human we are. Uh And because it's it resonates on some pre-verbal kind of physics 
oriented kind of plane. Mm-hmm. We can pull people toward us with those gifts. Um, and they'll sit in a room with us, even though they don't uh, agree with us about, you know, anything we have to say, uh, outside of that song, they'll sit in the room and, and pay a hundred dollars a ticket to come hang out with us yeah. because of this, this thing that's tr- transcending, yeah. uh, you know, our, our mundane kind of lives. And that's, that's the gift. And I think what you, you're not supposed to have all this figured out. It would be so boring. Yeah. <laughs> if you could. Right. And I think truths are allowed to change, too. I think what's real in you and what motivates you and what gets you out of bed now at 22 is not supposed to be the thing that gets you out of bed at 44 or 66. We're supposed to evaluate, reevaluate, right? If somebody had crammed teaching down my throat at 28, um, I'd have had a horrible opinion of the the craft. And now I think it's one of the most worthy things I've ever had the, 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 uh, the, 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 the gift of being a part of. It's timing, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't have all this figured out, by the way. But these are the things I think about. Yeah. I think about them a lot. Yeah. And I and I um I try and make sure that they show up in my relationships with my family and my friends and my and my students. Um otherwise why would I spend my time on it? Right. Right. Um you guys are writing better songs than I've ever written. You know? Hush. <laughs> because 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 you, you're you know you're you you've got all this new stuff that's in you, and you get all my old stuff that's in you, mm. and so you've got a big you got a big a big cauldron there. Yeah, um, I appreciate that, man. I appreciate your not only your willingness to share your wisdom, but also your humility and your um, your belief your belief in me and my friends. I'm not know? that important. <clears throat> Yeah, this is fun for me, and it's it's right. it's much more fun for me when I don't take myself too seriously. Yeah, everything that I get to brag about always came down like a happy accident. Right, right. You know, those overnight successes were always like twenty years in the making. Right. Yeah. So you got to get really good at the twenty years in the making part because the overnight successes mm. that you're gonna that are gonna be on your CV, those are all gonna seemingly have come out of nowhere. Right. And they're going to be the easiest things to talk about. They're going to be the ones that get you on panels and get you in front of audiences. But the day-to-day thing is what you really got to get good at. Uh-huh. And it's not that, you know, it's not that exciting mm. if it's all about you. Yeah. You know, you guys, the problem that I see you facing is bec- with all the social media stuff. And I'm, you know, I'm an addict as well. But these are all like highlight reels, right? Yeah. And you see your friends and they're winning and some people won't even post three times a year when they win the Grammy and when they, you know, had their third child. I mean, that's the only time you're going to see them on social media because they can't stand to put anything on there that might look human or or, or less interesting. Right. And even the, those of us that post all the time, you know, we're either trying to be really witty or profound or the best meme of the day or, you, you know, it's uh, yeah. it's it's not. It's not real. It's it's a highlight reel, and 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 so I think my generation, when we get still, and we and we move away from you know the thumbs for yeah. a minute, we're reminded of a different way of being in the world, which yeah. was slower and didn't require much. Goes back to that whole mm-hmm. thing we started with lowering your expectations and yeah. just not not expecting great grand things to happen every day, yeah, and then being happy when they do, yeah. Are there any, do you have any recommendations for like how to get in touch with that stillness? Like, is there a practice that you came into later in life? Or is yeah, it just, you'd be still. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Put your phone down. 
Yeah. Turn your TV off. Yeah. Turn your music off. Yeah. And just sit. Yeah. You know, I'm not a Buddhist, but I really appreciate the the Buddhist practice of just recognition in every moment, right? Mm -hmm. Having a thought about my hangnail. Yeah. And then moving away from it. Right. Right. The noting. Oh, there it is again, having another thought about my hangnail. Right. And then the rotting that happens over time where the hangnail ceases to hold your attention, right? Right. And I'm saying hangnail because it's, you know, it's trivia, but yeah. whatever these big things are that supposedly have a hold on you, right. just look at them. Yeah. Don't judge you. Don't sit in judgment in those right. moments and, and, and act like there's something that needs to be fixed. The compassion is You're the guy so behind necessary. the thought, right? You're yeah. not you're not that crazy, you know, uh nutty, out of control thought. Yeah. You're the person behind the thought. And those are the tenets mm. of Buddhism when I've when I've studied Eastern right. uh religions, the things that I really appreciate. Yeah. Who are who are your guys, by the way, in that in that scene? Oh um, god. How you, did you come to I that? I can't even remember your name in front of a crowd of people. Don't ask me <laughs> title. I'm the worst at trying to call on all that stuff. But oh, I'm just curious because I'm looking at You know, for new Michael books Mead. Michael Mead Michael has Mead, a, a really cool book on that. That, um, even guys I don't disagree with um, that I completely disagree with politically, like Dennis Prager, okay. has a great book called uh, "Happiness Is a Serious Problem." Um, the the, the uh, Tibetan book of you know the, the, the dead. Uh, of the dead is yeah. is a trip. Yeah, um, sitting on my been sitting on my coffee stand. For yeah, years. I mean you know you can Untouched. find your wisdom. You can, again because these are themes, you can find these truths. Right. Anywhere, you know, uh, autobiography of a yogi by Yogananda, um, mm. um, the Bible, you, you know, yeah. these, these things show up everywhere. Mm. Um, but I, I'm not nearly as well read as, as I need to be. Um, I'm, I'm well, uh, um, I love conversation. Yeah. Right. And so I'm not, I'm not trying to, uh, I'm not checking my source line every day. Yeah. Uh, it's for me, it's more about just the people that I love and love being around, uh, that tell me the way they live. I start to see patterns and I go, wow, mm. that now works across these 50 people that I see. Yeah. And she's a Buddhist and she's a Hindu and she's a born again, Southern Baptist and she's a, you know, whatever. Yeah. I'm going, Oh, I'm starting to see a pattern here. Right. And that's, I think that's the, the, the funnest part about all of this. Right. Plugging in on that level. Mm. Right. Yeah. Um, and when you learn stuff, I'm expecting you to come back and lay it on me. <laughs> Try it, man. Yeah. Um, you ever read any like Pema Chodron or Noah Levine or Jack Cornfield or those dudes? I've read Cornfield. Yeah. Those I dope. even walked on fire to Tony Robbins weekend. Really? Once. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, look, I'm, I'm a searcher, right? So yeah. I proved, I, I wanted to find out what it was those <laughs> whack jobs were doing that let people walk on coals and... <laughs> And I realized that you can take the mind to a mental state. Yeah. You, you can get yourself into a state. Yeah. Um, which is what his whole thing was about for me. Uh-huh. Um, that where you can achieve most anything. And so if we're capable of motivating ourselves, what can we get done in any given day when we've decided what's important, right? Mm-hmm. And then that comes back to a very practical way of what it means to chase this career you love. Right. And that ambition's not a bad thing. It's just a posture. Right. That's the thing I get, I get caught up in. Right. These is are just postures. They don't thing. have to be. It is not. You know, Pink didn't have to climb down off the mountain for Katy Perry to walk up. The mountain just got bigger. Right. So we throw ourselves into these competition paradigms and, and you know, believe that, that there's only so much room. That's just a that's just a lie of the record industry. There's room for you. If you keep doing what you do, there's always going to be room for you. Um, it's just up to you to find your way to the top, claw your way to the top, but it does not have to, it does. I just don't believe it necessarily has to come at the expense of 
you know, of the other people that are trying to get there as well. Um, there's, there's room for every artist that's really got something to say. Um, and then new mountains emerge, right? New peaks emerge, new things we never even show up in our landscape. We never even saw. Um, I, I, I assure you there's room for Mackin and there's a, there's room for a lot of the people that are in your cohort. Um, really, really enjoyed this particular cohort. And uh, your search is most fascinating for me. Really, really interesting. The fact that you mm. want to do this and that we're not sitting here talking about, you know, the reads that I use on my saxophone. Well, I, I like that stuff, too. Nah, but that's, that's the kind of conversation, you know, that a lot of people would be taking part in. And when did you start guitar? Mm-hmm. Or how long have you been playing piano? And the fact that we're not having that conversation means it is encouraging to me. Mm. It means that you're, you're interested in, in, the, in the stuff that's really worth talking about. <laughs> right? Those other things are just tools. Right, they're just tools. I like the minutiae, though, and I, 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 I can get. We can down. geek out over that, but it's yeah. not. It's not worth being on your podcast. Sometimes I do find myself getting over exhausted because I feel like I try to have this conversation. This sure, spa- get in this space. Sure, which I'm addicted to. Sure, sure. I feel like I try to get it too much with everywhere with everyone all the time. Yeah, there's absolutely a time just for frozen yogurt. <laughs> Yeah. Right? And baseball scores. Exactly. Yes. Honestly, I've been thinking so much lately about, like, I need to get into sports, like, in yeah. order to have more conversations or, or, with people. Or whatever. You need, you need your frivolous. Right? Yeah. My frivolous is, I like things that move. Right. Right? So I went and got my large large vessel sailing license. When mm. I was in my early 20s, I wanted to get my pilot's license, and I did. Yeah. I ride a Harley to work. I'm a guy that likes things that move, right? And so by the time I get where I'm going, right. I'm, in a, I'm in a happy place. I'm in my happy place. Yeah. Is that a good idea on paper? Absolutely not in Los Angeles. That's a ridiculous idea on paper. But by the time I get here, I'm, yeah. I'm just there's nothing else I could think about except for mm. somebody trying to run me off the road, right? And yeah. and that in and of itself is a practice, Yeah. right? That's a mantra, Oh, she's mm-hmm. trying to kill me. That woman's on her phone. She's trying to kill me. That's my mantra for an hour. But yeah. I'm not exhausted by it, uh-huh. like some people might be. Right. Because I'm on the bike, and it's bl- the wind's blowing in my, you know, I'd say my yeah. hair, but there's nothing blowing in my helmet. And I'm alive, right? I'm alive and feeling really good, and um, that's my that's one of my little frivolous, you know, baseball scores conversations. Right. Um, Got to have some stuff that just feels like it's just... Uh, you know, yeah, and those can be really and connected too. You know, those they can. Like, they do connect back. I yeah. just went nine hundred miles on a trip to see my mom. Right, you did by myself. And, oh, and so that was a very connected time. That was yeah. just me and wind, and you know, amazing. Uh, that's a that's a meditation. <laughs> Bless you. Excuse me. Oh, I'm good. Um, so yeah, the, the, these you're you're not going to find many of these things not circling back. Yeah. Right. Um, you could write a Zen in the art of Dodger baseball. <laughs> right. I'm sure somebody's thought about it. Yeah, exactly. So you'll, you, you, this is just how you're built. Right. So don't fight it. Uh huh. But, but uh, if you take yourself less seriously. Yeah. <laughs> then some of these other things, it's able, yeah. you're able to enjoy some of these other things. Exactly. And you don't, everything doesn't have to be profound. Right. I'm just, again, Finding the point of diminishing return. Yeah. I don't think things usually end up being very very profound when I'm looking for profundity. (laughs) That's when they get contrived. Right. Right? Profound is things that... (laughs) Profound is when you're in the middle of mundane, right? You're in the middle of what seems to be mundane, and then things occur to you. Yeah. That's where real profound things um, live, I think. Hell yeah. That's why all of the practices like, you know, Buddhism or even Taekwondo, what it means to just do the the moves the katas right. the you know the the things that's where the profound things emerge 
is through the mundane tasks. And I think mm-hmm. that's why a lot of those practices, you know, you can sit here and play your scales all day long and the scales in and of themselves are not that interesting. But right. in the middle of the scale, when something occurs to you and you connect a dot you hadn't connected. Yeah. I think that's where things mm-hmm. get interesting. So what kind of reads do you use? Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm, a, I'm an old school. I use Lavaz. Cool, man. Uh, two and a half on a nine, eight star or a nine face opening. Oh. Nobody, nobody's going to know what that Classic means. Classic face except opening. Except for Nathan Collins. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, thanks for making the time. You're welcome. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I've enjoyed this. Thanks, man. You bet. Happy sad talk, man. Happy sad talk, man. Happy sad